The law is no longer blind and dis but adjudicates indictment, prosecution, verdict, and punishment on the ideology of the accused. Eric Holder is held in contempt of Congress, of Congress and smiles. Peter Navarro is held in contempt of Congress and is hauled off in cuffs and leg irons. James Clapper and John Brennan lied under oath to Congress and were rewarded with television contracts. Roger Stone did the same, and a SWAT team showed up at his home. Andrew McCabe made false statements to federal investigators and was exempt. A set-up George Papadopoulos went to prison for a similar charge. So goes the new American commissariat. The one-party state is Sovietized. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. And just a word to my guys here. The uh, the same issue. Ah, okay, now I hear me better. We're, we're doing good. All right, nice. Hi, I'm in Minnesota, everyone. You know, a week without an airplane, I, I get sort of uh, jittery. So here I am. They say they have two seasons in Minnesota. I just learned this uh, phrase today. What is it? Winter and construction? That's very cute. I learned that the hard way, I must say, coming here. Victor Davis Hanson has a very powerful piece, unfortunately. In American Greatness, it's called The Sovietization of American Life. The amazing thing is, I would say at least half of America would not understand the title of his article, and certainly virtually no young person. I wonder if you said to the average not to forget the word average. wonder if you said to most juniors at Princeton University, what does the Sovietization of American life mean? They, I think that uh, the uh, most of them would not know. The ignorance of history, I lament all the time, the lack of the teaching of wisdom. It's my column today. I hope you'll see it. DennisPrager.com, and it's at townhall.com later in the week. It goes elsewhere as well, many other sites. And I lament the lack of teaching of wisdom with the reliance on feelings. I, I have good intentions is now the only thing that matters. Wisdom, virtue, even knowledge doesn't matter. But so not only do we teach little in terms of wisdom, we teach little in terms of knowledge as well. So I don't think they would understand the Sovietization of American life. I never thought I would live to see the day where a person I respected would write a column titled The Sovietization of American Life. 
One day historians will look back, Hansen writes, at the period beginning with the COVID lockdowns of spring 2020 through the midterm elections of 2022, to understand how America for over two years lost its collective mind and turned into something unrecognizable and antithetical to its founding principles. Sovietization is perhaps the best diagnosis of the pathology. It refers to the subordination of policy, expression, popular culture, and even thought to ideological mandates. Ultimately, such regimentation destroys a state, since dogma wars and defeats, wars with and defeats meritocracy, creativity, and freedom. The law is no longer blind and disjointed, but adjudicates indictment, prosecution, verdict, and punishment on the ideology of the accused. Eric Holder is held in contempt of of Congress and smiles. Peter Navarro is held in contempt of Congress and is hauled off in cuffs and leg irons. James Clapper and John Brennan lied under oath to Congress and were rewarded with television contracts. Roger Stone did the same, and a SWAT team showed up at his home. Andrew McCabe made false statements to federal investigators and was exempt. A set-up George Papadopoulos went to prison for a similar charge. So goes the new American commissariat. The one-party state is Sovietized. It's uh, talking about California here. Public policy is no longer empirical, but subservient to green, diversity, equity, and inclusion dogmas, and detached from the reality of daily middle-class existence. Decline is ensured once ideology governs problem-solving, rather than time-tested and successful policy-making. In a similar fashion, the common denominator in Joe Biden's two years of colossal failures is Soviet-like edicts of equity, climate change, and neo-socialist redistribution that have ensured for the non-elite in any event soaring inflation, unaffordable energy, rampant crime, and catastrophic illegal immigration. Playing the role of Pravda, that was the Soviet communist newspaper, which lied, but it was called truth, it's what Pravda means, Biden and his team simply denied things were bad, relabeled failure as success, and attacked his predecessor and critics as various sorts of counter-revolutionaries. Regarding the soaring crime, there was a case in Los Angeles of a a boy, 19-year-old boy, smashing his car into a woman who was walking while strolling her baby. Baby was in the stroller. She was walking. He, he, He hit them both and then drove away. It's all on video. You can see it. Tucker Carlson showed it last night. And the boy uh, had already just been allowed out. Uh, He had already committed a crime. He was out 
because we don't George Gascon, the DA of of Los Angeles, does not prosecute violent crime, generally speaking, and there's a reason. I knew this reason when I was in high school. The left does not hate evil. The left hates the right. It's an extremely important observation. And I understood it because the left did not hate communism. As I am biblically oriented, why wouldn't I be? It's the wisest book ever written. There is a line, which is my favorite line in the entire Bible. Those of you who love God must hate evil. It's a command. Hebrew has a command form. English does not. So it's not always translated correctly, but it's the command form. If you love God, you must hate evil. If you don't hate evil, you don't love God. I can't tell you how important. uh, All I can tell you. (laughs) Maybe I can't properly tell you how important I find that verse. People in general have not hated evil. They have feared it, but they have not hated it. They have made peace with it, because to confront it uh, is frightening for many people. It's very easy to fight evangelical Christians because you know you won't get hurt. But if you fight Black Lives Matter, then you might get hurt. I don't mean beaten up and killed. I mean lose your job. Nobody's lost a job because they took on evangelical Christians. Is that fair to say? There's not much of a censorship culture there, cancel culture. So the boy who hit the the mother pushing her child in a stroller and then drove away, this 19-year-old monster, is given, uh, was given, I don't know, virtually no sentence by George Gascon. What? That's, what pe- that's who people elected, after all. They, I would say they get what they deserve, but the problem is it's the people who suffer are not the ones who voted for him, generally speaking. But there is a very interesting aspect to this story about the driver hitting the woman, putting her child in a stroller, that has not gone commented on. A guy in an SUV, or a woman, I don't know, man or a woman, in an SUV, saw what happened, saw when this young monster drove away and smashed his car into the boy's car. I want to know who that hero is. We need models of goodness. Back in a moment. The left's radical gender ideology is seeped into children's classrooms, medical terminology, and into our everyday life. It's producing a generation of psychologically infantile and confused young people 
And this radical ideology is trying to erase the people who brought us all into this world, women. Now, Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire is taking matters into his own hands. He recently embarked on a journey around the world to ask one simple question, what is a woman? And you'd be surprised not only how few are capable of answering, but also how many have a completely twisted idea of what a woman is. Thankfully, he got his whole experience on film, the documentary they don't want you to see, What is a Woman? You can check it out today at dailywire.com slash Prager. Radical gender ideologies have a not-so-secret agenda, and this film exposes them all. Watch What is a Woman at dailywire.com slash Prager. Hi, everybody. want to remind you, Victor Davis Hanson, one of our major thinkers, is speaking about the Sovietization of American life, and I am reading to you from this very sobering article about what is happening in America. Our diversity statements required for hiring at many universities are becoming comparable to Soviet certifications of proper Marxist-Leninist fidelity. Marxist-Leninist fidelity. Like the children of Soviet party apparatchiks, privileged university students now openly attack faculty whose reading requirements or lectures supposedly exude sense of colonialism or imperialism or white supremacy. He's so right. This, that was my field of study, as many of you know, Soviet, Soviet Union, communism, Eastern Europe. But I went there many times to, through these communist countries and the Soviet Union, and I'm very well acquainted with it. This is exactly what happened. Students were required to show their Marxist-Leninist fidelity, so were teachers, and faculty were attacked if they deviated from the party line. Deviated from the party line. You deviate from the Democratic Party line, you may lose your job. I will have a professor on from Georgetown University who just left Georgetown because it's another cesspool, another Soviet cesspool. I, 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 it is not possible to overstate how bad our universities have become, followed by our high schools and elementary schools. It, it is something that is so sad to report to you. And if you have kids in school, my heart breaks for you. Uh, either a religious school or a charter school that is actually committed to education rather than Sovietized indoctrination or homeschooling are the only alternatives. The most precious thing you have in your life is your child. So why would you gamble? Faculty increasingly fear offering merit evaluation in terror that diversity commissars might detect in their grading an absence of repertory race or gender appraisals. The result is still more public cynicism about higher education because it is apparent that the goal is to graduate with a stamp from Yale or Stanford that ensures prestige, success, and ideological correctness on the supposition that few will ever worry exactly what or how one did while enrolled. 
It's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to. Does a degree from one of these universities carry the same prestige as it did even 10 years ago? I have no different view of you if you graduated Stanford than if you graduated some state university that is not well known. You were brainwashed in either case. You went. You probably went along like a sheep just to get a grade. You've been indoctrinated to hate the greatest country ever made. You've been taught to be a moral idiot, thinking that uh, George Washington was a bad man. That's what I assume, whether you went to Stanford or or Boise State. As the Soviets and Maoists discovered, and as was true of the Jacobins, National Socialists, and cultural Marxists, once radical ideology defines success, then life in general becomes anti-meritocratic. The public privately equates awards and recognition with political fealty, not actual achievement. Were recent Netflix productions reflections of merit or of ideological criteria governing race and gender? Do the Emmys, Tonys, or Oscars convey recognition of talent or of adherence to progressive agendas of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Does a Pulitzer Prize, a Ford Foundation grant, or a MacArthur Award denote talent and achievement, or more often promote diversity, equity, and inclusion narratives? That's correct. Where does woke Sovietization end once accountability vanishes and ideology masks? incompetence and malfeasance, we are starting to see the final denouement with missing baby formula, epidemics of shootings and hate crimes, train robbings reminiscent of the Wild West in Los Angeles, tombstone-esque shoot-up Saturday nights in Chicago, spiking electricity rates and brownouts, $7 a gallon diesel fuel, unaffordable and scarce meat, and entire industries from air travel to home construction that simply no longer work. Everyone knows that the status of our homeless population in Los Angeles or San Francisco is medieval, dangerous, and unhealthy. And everyone knows that any serious attempt to remedy the situation would cause one to be labeled an apostate, counter-revolutionary, and enemy of the people. So, like good Eastern Europeans of the Warsaw Pact in the 1960s, we mutter one thing under our breath and nod another publicly. Behind all our disasters, there looms an ideology, a creed that ignores cause and effect in the real world, without a shred of concern for the damage done to those outside the nomenclatura, the nomenclatura with the the bureaucrats of communism. Read the article. Back in L.A. tomorrow. Thanks for listening.
Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Steve, I, it, it, it's hard for me to even no. read through that letter. You know, these January 6th defendants, now, you know, they, were, they weren't necessarily allowed to enter the Capitol, even though officers caught them on camera waving them in. You know, officers, we have the video, Capitol Police officers were waving them in, and now they're losing everything. And many of them are sitting in pretrial detention, solitary confinement, getting abused by the guards there in the DC Gulag. You know, I, I think it's important for every American to hear this letter. Indeed, Emerald. And, and as he says elsewhere in the letter, he's actually one of the lucky ones that he did not have to be indefinitely detained while awaiting sentencing. And I can't think of an issue in my career that better encapsulates the current political paradigm in America, where you have one political party here in this duopoly and the Democrats, they can go to the mattresses, they can go to the extremes, they can literally do whatever they want. The only time they're really punished for it, as they will be this November, is when they go too far, uh, their policies are too ruinous, uh, and the American people take it upon themselves to rebuke them uh, at the ballot box. Other than that, they face no other political recourse whatsoever. Fake coups, fake lies, fake elections, fake news. They, they face no recourse whatsoever at all. And so in response, as sanctuary to, to get away from those people, to stop those people, we run to Republicans who now just can't be found anywhere uh, defending these, uh, these Americans that are having their, their civil rights violated their God-given rights violated, and all for the crime of looking at the data of this last election and realizing uh, that uh, something smells rotten here in the state of Denmark. And, and th there's, there's two questions. I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even dare to ask Republicans to get into who murdered Ashley Babbitt and why and all the other real questions and Ray Epps and everything else. I wouldn't even ask them that. All right, That would be like asking a gnat to sing. I wouldn't even do that. OK, even though we know if the shoe was on the other foot, Democrats would absolutely show no restraint at all. But there are two simple questions Republicans could ask every one of them, every one of them from Lindsey Graham to Rand Paul. They could all ask this question, these two questions and blow up this entire narrative. One, where are the thousands of hours of unreleased surveillance video? How come we don't want the American people to see all the insurrectioning that was going on throughout the course of the entire day? the entire morning and the evening afterwards, where's the thousands of hours of unreleased surveillance video? That's the first question they get asked. Number two, how the hell were the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers gonna overthrow the government without a single weapons charge? Without a, were, they, were the Proud Boys going to kilt the American government into overthrow with their kilts? Were the Oath Keepers going to blog? No, but there's not a single weapons charge for either of the two primary boogeymen in this entire fiasco and yet they're insurrectionists. How are they going to perform an insurrection without any weapons? Just those two questions. And then they can genuflect and deflect and say, hey, I'm fine throwing rioters in prison or all their 
consultant talking points, but they would blow up this entire narrative if they just asked those two simple questions and we can't even get them to do that. You know, I've asked a few staffers, even some for uh, members of Congress who are typically very outspoken, uh, you know, senators, a couple of senators who typically are seen as the wild cards and stand up for American freedoms, why they're so quiet on this. And it, some of them might shock you who they are and their staffers tell me, well, they're just scared. They're very afraid to say anything about this because it's so, it's so you know, ch politically charged and they're just gonna stay out of it. Well, but let's say, Steve, even if these people were guilty of quote unquote insurrection or whatever, we're still supposed to have the rule of law as a country, right? And you're guilty Correct. until, I mean, you're innocent until proven guilty. In this case, they're treating people as if they're guilty until proven innocent, even though there's not even, when people are found guilt, guilty, there's no insurrection charge. There's no sedition charge. It's like, you know, trespassing and all these other uh, crimes that they're going to get extensive time for, which in anywhere else would have just been a slap on the wrist for the most part. Um, but they're, they're being held in terrible conditions. They're being, we've seen pictures of them being abused. This is not the rule of law and this is not a, America. So you think these cowardly Republicans could at least stand up for them and say, hey, this is not how we do things in America. Even if they're not saying they didn't do anything wrong. We are a prosperous banana republic. That's really what we are. And the number one political problem that exists in America is, is if we have one political party that just conjures up things and says, well, we'll see if the courts stop us. We'll see if the courts tell us no. We'll show no restraint. We'll say whatever we want. We'll do whatever we want. Once we have power, we will punish our opponents in any way, shape, or form that we see fit. When we are denied power, we will attempt to discredit our, uh, our opponents in any way, form, shape, or fit that we see. And there's no repercussions for this. No one ever is tried. No one's ever penalized. No one's ever excommunicated. No one's ever censured. There's no penalty. And so that encourages them to just do even more. And meanwhile, the other side, when they win, it's all about how do we not uh, rock the boat? How do we not shake things up too much so that we risk losing power? And so this is, you can't have a duopoly where one side acts is with impunity, Emerald, and then the other side acts with constant timidity and cowardice, because then you just don't have a duopoly. You have a bully, okay? And then you have the person, the people that are being bullied. And that's what we have right now. And, in, and, and until we, we elect yeah. Republicans to do what DeSantis is doing, he is punishing them. He's taking tax credits away, money away, regulatory favors away. He is punishing them with the power he has in Florida. And that's what we must elect Republicans that will do that. Use the power they have to punish our adversaries and bloody their noses the way that is done to us. And then maybe we can return to some form of left of center, right of center, Overton window, political detente, and not ruin this country or plunge it into a civil war. Because I can promise you this, all throughout human history, there has never been a peaceable transfer of liberty and wealth from one sector of a culture to another, and there never will be. And that won't happen here either. And so that is my fear. My fear is we're gonna create John Browns, if you know your history, because there isn't a political party that will actually go to the mattresses and stand up for half of this country. Sooner or later, they're gonna learn, I guess that if I can't do it peaceably through the process, I, I have to take it upon myself. 
I would like that to not happen. I've got three approaching adult age children. We live in a nice suburb. I'd like to continue that sort of American comfort if we all could please. But I also have read a history book before and I know you don't get to do this to people indefinitely before they eventually uh, strike back. That's very true. And I keep hearing from more and more Americans it's your average people, like you said, in the suburbs who want to live a comfortable life. They want to, they want hope for the future for their children like us, but they're getting very afraid. And I, I, I want to go, I go back to that line. This letter was so amazingly penned. It was so honest. He said, we are no longer free. And this country was taking, taken without firing a single shot. I thought that was such a powerful line. Yes. And it's because our plan has been every two, four, or six years, depending on the office, let them do whatever they want to us and then sit around and vote for Republicans to save us. And January 6th, this story shows more than any story I've, I've seen in my career, the, cal the Calvary's not coming, all right? We're in a hostage situation. Yeah. We're, at, we're at the point of the story where the hostage taker looks at you and says, no one is coming for you. No one can hear your screams. And yeah. until that changes, if we don't get more Republicans in office that are more DeSantis-like, I fear for where this goes. I mean, I think you're looking at an America that is every bit as divided as what I you saw so. in the on an existential level with differences that are not reconcilable. And I'm afraid of where that goes. That is why I'm sounding the alarm about this. I, I don't want to wait until until we, we we almost had an Archduke Ferdinand moment at that softball field in suburban D.C. a few years ago. You know, you were covering the White House yeah. back then. All right. We were this close yeah. to push that powder keg over this close. If, if Scalise with his security detail had said, for whatever reason, you know what? I can't be there today. I can't make it. And so they were defenseless. How many of those Republicans would have gotten gunned down and then we're on like Donkey Kong? We are this close to ticking over a powder keg here and ruining the freest, most prosperous nation on Earth because no one represents half the interest of the country or very few elected officials do while all their rights are being violated. And Sooner or later, that rubber band is going to strike back. I absolutely agree with you, Steve. It keeps me up at night. I also agree with the DeSantis, uh, the DeSantis statements. But you know what? DeSantis is that way on his own. But what I have found is that you can't just let them get elected. You also have to hold their feet to the fire throughout. Correct. And I can tell you in Virginia, that is what is happening, and I don't think Youngkin would be as strong if it was not for the people who continuously call, especially on the school issue, and say, no, 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 we voted for you, we campaigned for you, and we're not going to take it if you if you go weak on us. So I think that's an important point. It really, the state governors can be so important. They are the they are so important, so important. Hey, Thanks, Steve. So you bet. so good to see you. Thanks for sharing you this with us. Just